do I have to turn a button on here or no? You got it? Okay, thank you. Good morning. Great to see everybody today, and it's just a pr privilege to be here, and uh, we really thank you for that. And of course, you know, we want to thank you uh, for this church's support of the ministry in Inverness. We couldn't be there without you, so we, we bless you in the name of the Lord for all your support for us. And uh, the Lord continues to work in our little area, and uh, we continue to see visitors. We continue to see growth in many ways. Um, I think last Sunday we probably had about 55 people out, so it's just encouraging. And uh, we have visitors. We have uh, some people visiting lately. In fact, a family that's been coming the last month or two. Uh, he's a believer and she is not. And uh, it's just been amazing to see uh, her growth and her interest. She's not yet saved. But, you know, we had a, 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 a kind of a program, if you will, back in the month of May. And it was called Who Is Your One or Who's Your One? And so we were challenging everyone to, to pick one person to pray for every single day. And uh, we kind of had an email system that would remind you and send you a note every day to pray for your one. And uh, my wife happened to be praying for this lady, Jill, and, uh, you know, uh, she prayed for her every day for the month of May. And, uh, and uh, as it turns out, uh, the Lord brought her out. You know, she, it was, it's quite a miracle because, uh, you know, Jill is uh, from a different church and... Uh, Sometimes the folks in, in our town face a lot of pressure from their families not to come and see us. And she was very hesitant, but I remember the, the very Sunday that uh, she came, her husband texted me in the morning before service and said, Mark, please pray for Jill that she will come. And I said, we already have this morning, and that's the very Sunday that she came. And you know, it's, uh, it's amazing because so often in life, right, we look at things as impossible. We look at things as uh, there's no way that that's going to happen. But we need to trust in God who can do anything, right? And he can move mountains, he can move the hearts of men, and he can do amazing things. And as we rely on him in prayer, as we trust in him, you know, he can do things. And that's such a comfort to know that. And so it's been great. Now, I want to just pause for a moment, and we're going to pray together as a church this morning for Jill. Uh, we, we arrived here Friday night, and we just, Jill was taken to hospital with some serious medical conditions, and she's up in Sydney right now waiting surgery. We don't know a lot about what's going on, but her husband and her have been in, in constant communication with us on this. So let's just take a moment, and we're going to pray for Jill together. Father, we just thank you for Jill and for Kevin, and that, Lord, that you brought her out, Lord, to hear the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that she's been looking into things. And, Lord, we just uh, are concerned for her this morning as she's in hospital up in Sydney. And we do pray, oh God, that you would bring healing to her body, that you would preserve her. And, Lord, that you would just encourage your heart this morning. Lord, we pray that she would know the love of God. She would know your truth. Uh, Lord, that you would just do a wonder in her life and in her body, even now as we are together uh, praying for her. Lord, encourage Kevin. Lord, and I just pray that this will be the turning point in her life, Lord. We pray that she'll be saved. She'll come to know you. That, Lord, you would just raise her up to health and strength, Lord, we pray. And so we commit Jill to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So, uh, again, invitation's open. If you've never been to Cape Breton, come on up. We're in the same province, you know. <laughs> and uh, we'd love to see you anytime uh, up in Inverness. So that's just a very brief update. We're encouraged. Just a couple of other quick items. Number one is, um, uh, in addition to people coming and things like that, we've had two uh, families join us in Inverness. One is here now. Uh, so my daughter and her husband and two of our grandkids relocated about two months ago. They're now living with us in the area and uh, looking to get, in, they're very involved in what we're doing, and uh, they're looking to really uh, launch children's ministry this fall in, in some various formats that we really need in our town. 
And we have a second couple. Some of you are in this room know that, and some of you have been helping uh, with J.C. and Christina Willard from North Carolina. Uh, they're hoping to be here by October, and so they're coming with a heart to minister to youth, young adults, teens. And so we're very excited the Lord is bringing these two couples to work with us in Inverness. And it's, it's not bad having a couple of grandkids nearby, too. <laughs> so that's really encouraging. And you know, Kate Breton, we've been praying for laborers. We continue to pray for laborers. The Lord has also brought two other couples from the U.S. One arrived the same day that my daughter did from South Carolina. They sold everything. They relocated there in Marguerite, working with the Marguerite Church. And they have another couple that's already committed. They'll be here in August. We'll be working with our church in Bedeck. So we've been praying for laborers. The Lord is sending us four couples in 2019, three of them from the U.S. Incredible. And uh, how the Lord has been working. And I wish I had the time to share the testimonies of some of these people. But it's incredible how the Lord has moved people who had no connection to us and didn't even know us. This couple that came from South Carolina, as the Lord was burdening them for Nova Scotia, they literally prayed over a map and went like that and landed on Marguerite. It's an incredible story. Uh, sometime I'll, I'll maybe share that with you. Chris and Carrie Wimpy. So lots going on in Cape Breton for which we're super excited, and we just know the Lord is up to something, bringing all these people. He's going to do something. There's no question about that. So we're excited this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 62, but before we do that, let's ask for the Lord's help. <clears throat> Father, we're so thankful this morning for who you are, and Lord, we just bless your name. Lord, thank you for these songs that remind us, God, of these incredible truths, and what a joy it is, Lord, just to know you this morning and to know all that you offer to us. Father, we bless your name. Lord, as we turn to your word, we ask, Lord, that you would meet with us here in a special way, that you would teach us, that we would hear your voice, Lord that you would work in our hearts, that we would leave here different than when we came in. Lord, we just seek your face now, Lord. We need your help. And so we ask for your blessing. We ask your blessing on the Sunday school as well. And Lord, we just commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be in Psalm 62. If you'd like to turn there today, we're thinking about rest, but I want to begin with worry. <clears throat> and the word worry in English is from an old Anglo-Saxon word that means to tear apart. It is related to the word for wolf. And, you know, you can picture that wolf as he shreds the sheep into pieces. Sorry for the, the, the rather bold description there. But, you know, we have wolves and coyotes, right? They're very, ra they're very dangerous animals. They, they shred their prey. And I know that from firsthand. I used to have a farm in Ontario. And one night, the, the coyotes, and coyotes and wolves are very similar, came and they destroyed all of our livestock in one single night. And I can tell you there was pieces of our goats from here strewn across half the county. They destroy everything in their path. And that's what worry is. Worry is a destroyer. It is destructive. It is harmful. It tears apart. Now, there is a certain worry which can be beneficial. When I walk up to the edge of the cliff and I look down 100 feet to the shore, uh, there's a little bit of fear there, and it causes me to take a step back. That's a good kind of worry, right? <laughs> we don't want to just say, whoa, let's go. No, right? There is good worry, but worry, what we're talking about right now is that negative kind where we worry and fret over issues, and it causes us all kinds of problems spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and even physically. I had a friend years ago, 30 years ago, uh, and his brother you know, had a massive heart attack, barely survived. The man was in his 30s at the time, and the doctor said it was 100% related to the stress of worry. This man could not get past worry. He worried every day about everything, and it ruined his physical health, and we know that, right? That kind of worry can be debilitating, and for the Lord's people, it can cripple us in our ministry. 
in our service to the Lord, it can ruin us emotionally, it can ruin us physically. Does anybody here in this room ever worry? Thank you for your honesty. (laughs) You know, it's something that's common to us, right? And sometimes we think we're big, we're strong, we're tough, we can handle it. But in our heart of hearts, we know that there's things which cause us to worry and to fear and to doubt. Well, there's an old story that tells of an angel. And uh, one day he met a man carrying a sack on his back. And the angel said to the man, what's in the sack? And the man replied, all of my worries. And the angel said, well, let's empty the sack and take a look at it. And uh, he says, let me see them. And so when the sack was opened, it was actually, in fact, empty. And the man was astonished and said he had two great worries, one of yesterday, which he now saw as past, the other of tomorrow, which had not yet arrived. The angel said, you don't need any sack, and he gladly threw it away. You see, worry is often that way, right? We worry about things in the past for which we cannot go back and change it. It's behind us. Or we worry about things that are going to potentially happen tomorrow, but they're not even here yet. And perhaps, you know, this is why the scriptures tell us that sufficient unto the day, forgive me, I was raised in the King James, and that's okay. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, right? In other words, there's enough worry for today to, to... to to, to consume us, never mind about tomorrow, right? And God gives us grace one day at a time. We're we're told to ask, you know, by the way, to, to give us our needs every day, daily. Today, Lord. We don't pray actually about tomorrow. It's today. Give me what I need today. So it's a daily thing. We don't worry about yesterday. We don't worry about the future. But the problem is we face all kinds of things. Relationship problems, work related, job related, finances, health, and on and on we could go. And we all know that those struggles with worry and how debilitating they can be, and we stress over it, and it can ruin us. And so the question is this morning, where do we find hope? And where do we find the rest that we desperately need? And I think we all know that answer as the Lord's people, but we're going to explore that here in Psalm 62. It begins by saying, for the choir director, according to Jeduthun, a Psalm of David, and we should never overlook those intros to the Psalms. They're inspired too. Jejuthun in Hebrew is a, is a name for a person for sure. It also means a confession of praise. And so we have here in Psalm 62 an amazing confession of praise that David brings. It's a Psalm of David, and it's a confession of praise. And that's important, this confession that he has here. So let's begin in verses 1 and 2. I am, I am at rest in God alone. Now, Before we go any farther, this word alone appears six times in this verse, in this, sorry, in this psalm. Now, in the Hebrew, it appears at the beginning of the verse, and so it's kind of stressed a little more than what we see in our English translations. Alone, 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 six times. I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. It's quite a confession that David gives here, you know? It's like, wow, yeah, I can get behind that, you know? And that's kind of the confession that we all want to have. And maybe even sometimes we project when it's not really true of us, if you know what I mean, right? We want to have that image of strength. We want to have a strong profession of faith in God, especially amongst our brothers and sisters. And David says, yeah, I trust in God alone. I'll never be shaken. And sometimes we sing that song. And our second last hymn, our song, I love that, Build My Life, the firm foundation of the love of Christ, I will never be shaken. I will not be shaken, right? And yet we know from our human experience, from our personal examples in life, that in fact we are shaken. 
We can make great, bold professions of faith like that, and yet we can be shaken in our experience. So David makes an amazing profession here. And, and, and we begin the psalm with this incredible stronghold, and the first thing that we see is that salvation comes from God. The first reason that David says, I can, I can rest in God alone, is because my salvation comes from him. And obviously we know that salvation is of the Lord. Our, the saving of our souls is something for which we cannot achieve on our own. And if you're here this morning thinking that you deserve to be saved, or that somehow you've impressed God with your life, you're on shaky ground. Because I'm not trying to be rude or unkind, but that, that's just not true. There's nothing that you can do to impress God. He's not impressed with you. He's not impressed with me. There's nothing that you can do to earn your way to God. You cannot keep some kind of religion. You can't do anything to earn your way into God's presence in heaven. It does not work that way. Salvation is of the Lord. David understands that my salvation is of God. That's why I have a rest in him, because from him comes my salvation. He provides it. Jesus has done all the work. That's what we remembered this morning in the first meeting. He's done everything that was necessary, and we simply receive it as a gift by faith as we put our trust in him, as we commit ourselves to him and receive all that he offers us by faith. It's a gift. Praise the Lord. So we can rest in that this morning. We can understand that salvation is of the Lord, physical and even spiritual. I mean, uh, spiritual and physical. David understood that from his own life experience. Those of us that know our Old Testament know that. There's many times that David was rescued physically and saved physically by the Lord. We can testify of that too in our lives. There's times where we just know for sure that God was with us in that instance and spared us from certain destruction. He watches over his people. Salvation is from the Lord. That's the first thing for the reason in which we can rest in God. And what a rest it is. You know, this word for rest, by the way, in Hebrew means silence. Just like that. Silence, right? It's a beautiful thing, right? You come away from the noise, the hustle, and the bustle, and there's just a, just a quietness. It's good. And that's the rest in God that we have here. That's what he's talking about because he is my salvation. My goodness, what, what more could we want? What more do we need? There's nothing greater than that. It's so good. It's so wonderful. It's so true. The second thing is, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. He is my rock. Of course, we think of a rock as a mighty thing, a strong thing, a thing which cannot be moved, and it's very difficult to deal with rocks, especially if they're big, you know? <laughs> and... What do we think about in the Old Testament? Well, first of all, we can think about how Moses, right? The Lord said, speak to the rock, and water will flow from it. Remember, the, the children of Israel were thirsty in the wilderness. They needed water. And so the Lord said to Moses, go down to the river and get some. No, there's no rivers out there in the desert. There's no lakes. There was no wells. Speak to the rock. And that rock will provide a stream of water, a stream of life, if you will. And so God is pictured in that rock of provision, and so when we say that God is our rock, we can think of his provision for us. He provides streams of living water in the desert place. Life from death. That's a picture. 
We could also think of, we even sang about it this morning as we th- sang that beautiful hymn, right? He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. And there's Moses, right? And he, he wants to see the glory of God. And God says, okay, but, you know, I'm going to put you there in that cleft, that split in the rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand. I'm going to pass by. You'll see only the backside. I'll declare my name before you. And so God puts him into that safe place for his own protection because as uh, we were reminded this morning that to see God is to die. No one can see God and live. So God puts him in that rock for protection, and that's what a rock pictures for us, a place of safety and shelter from the storm. Now that hymn, there's a legend concerning that hymn. It's not confirmed, but He Hideth My Soul was written by Reverend Toplady in the late 1700s in England. And this, the legend goes is that he was traveling, and there was a great storm, and he came across these two massive pillars of rock. In fact, there's a plaque there today in England if you go there that tells this story. And there's a cleft. There's a, there's a shelter right in the middle. And he got in there out of the storm. And the legend has it that it was there that he was inspired to write that hymn, one of the most popular, famous hymns that we know. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. And that's what rock is, and that's what God is. He is a place of provision. He is a place of safety and shelter. No matter what's going on all around us, he's immovable. That's what a rock is. It doesn't move. It just stays right there. (laughs) And that's the way our God is, right? He's immovable. He's unshakable. He doesn't change. Praise the Lord. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. And so we have a rock for our God. So we can rest In him, he's unmovable, he's unchangeable. And lastly, we see here that because these things are true, we cannot truly be shaken. As I think of that, and as I think sometimes as we sing these songs, I will not be shaken, you know. (laughs) That's a great song, by the way, love it. But the reality is, is that in my life anyway, I can be shaken emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically. But here's what can't be shaken, the promises of God to me and to you. We can never lose that, no matter how we feel about the matter. And God promises to us salvation and eternal life, and that can't be taken away from me, no matter what is going on. I can stand on that bedrock. Oh, I might have doubts and fears today. I might have a lot of worry in my life, but I can know in my heart and my soul that at the end of the day, I belong to the Lord, and nothing can change that truth. And so we're not shaken in this respect. We can't be moved off of that position. The promises of God are sure, and so we can truly find rest and be silent in God's presence. It's an amazing confession of faith. Praise the Lord. It's good. Now, there was once at the Marble Collegiate Church in New York City on a Sunday night, a Bishop Leonard was concluding with a moving appeal at the end of his sermon. He said that during the recent floods at Johnstown, Pennsylvania, a rumor had gone forth that the Great Dam was giving way again. Quickly, the valley was filled with excitement and fear. Swiftly, too, the report came to the ears of the architect who built the work. He exclaimed, it's untrue. The dam is not going to give away. I know it. I built it. I know every material that went into it. I personally designed it. It will not fail. Well, he was, so con- he was so sure of that. <laughs> he says it will bear any pressure of water that can be put on it. He leapt into his car. He drove up the valley from which the others were fleeing. He parked his car at the very base of the dam and standing on the running board. Now, for, for the younger people in the room, <clears throat> in the old days, cars had running boards. <laughs> they kind of ran between the front and rear fenders o- over the wheels were external to the body, okay? There was like a little board there you could stand on. 
if you're wondering what the running board is. So he's standing on the board, and he's, he's shouting out to the people, the dam will hold, it is not breaking. While everybody's running away, he's so confident in that dam. And you know, here's what this preacher said. He said, this age needs men and women with just such faith in Jesus Christ. He will never fail. He is sufficient for all time and for all eternity. And because these things are true about God, we can have that confession of faith. And we can stand with assurance and know that. Now, there, these days in which we live are strange times. And I'll confess to you that when Canada Day rolls around, it causes me to weep. I do not rejoice because I see what is happening to this nation. And it is not good, beloved. And yet, our God still reigns. Our God still reigns, no matter the evil that is upon us in this country. And the negative things that are happening, we must stand on the sure foundation of the Lord. Because our hope will not be found here in this life and even in this nation that we have known. It is found in our rock, who is our salvation. And because these things are true, and because God cannot fail, we can trust in him. You know, is all hopeless in Canada? Of course not. Why? Because God reigns over the affairs of men. And as his people pray and cry out to him, he will work and he will act. And he will bring people to church that we thought never would. And he will still save people. And that's happening all around us today. And so we trust in God. Let's move on to verses 3 through 8. We'll just begin with 3 and 4. Okay, so now we have this incredible confession. And he says, how long will you threaten a man? Forgive me, I'm snuffling. I know I'm not supposed to do that with a mic on. But I have no choice, sorry. (laughs) How long will you threaten a man? Will all of you attack as if he were a leaning wall or a tottering fence? They only plan to bring him down from his high position. They take pleasure in lying. They bless with their mouths, but they curse inwardly. See law. Have you ever had anyone speak ill of you? (laughs) Have you ever had anybody talk behind your back in the workplace? Or maybe try to even destroy you in the workplace? I've had that happen. And I've been guilty of it too, by the way. I'm not going to stand in front of you and say that I've never spoken about the boss behind their back. I'm very guilty of that. That's what we tend to do, right? <laughs> Boss is the bad guy, so let's just get on the bandwagon and badmouth him all the time, <laughs> or her. But here David is bringing up a situation, right, where people can get behind us and they try to tear us down. They try to destroy us with their words. They flatter us in front of us, but behind us, they're stabbing the knives into the back. They're backstabbing. And I've had many experiences like that in my life, especially in my career. There's very few of us who haven't experienced us uh, experience this in our life, right? And it hurts deeply at times. Sometimes we we get angry and we fight back, but sometimes it's maybe somebody close to us and it hurts us very deeply and it's a harmful and it's a hurtful thing. And, you know, I I just share a quick story with you. I know the time is late, but I I am definitely going over 12, beloved. (laughs) Now, Ime told me that I could go over 12, so he's given me free license, (coughs) and I'm going to take that to the bank. Listen, uh, back in the mid-'80s when I was a young man, I was at work one day in my office. I got a phone call from the secretary saying, Mark, are you in your office? Yes, stay there. Okay, within seconds, an RCMP officer showed up and began to interrogate me in my own office and accused me of being part of a conspiracy to smuggle weapons out of Cyprus 
and sell those weapons on the black market, military weapons, because Canada was in Cyprus in the, in the mid to late 80s. I don't know if they still are, but they were then. And uh, he was, I was accused of working with other, I was ex-military at this point. I, I spent a short time in the military in 1984. And uh, one of my uh, master corporals was in Cyprus. And so I was being accused by the RCMP of helping him sell stolen military weapons in the market in Canada. I can tell you, when you're like 25 years old and the RCMP, I mean, he was so good at it, he almost made me think I was guilty. <laughs> you know, I was scared to death. But I found out later that there was a guy in the workplace who had tried to get into the RCMP, couldn't do it, concocted this story, which was based on partial truth. I had shared a story at work about how I'd heard about a conspiracy to sell weapons from Cyprus and Canada. He, he went to the RCMP hoping to get an application by accusing me. And I almost went to jail over it. I mean, like, I, you know, I still today tremble. As I share with people, right, the last thing the RCMP told me in 1988 in the city of Oshawa was, don't leave town. I did leave town. I'm here today. <laughs> they never rescinded that order. That was the last I heard from them. Anyway, people do this, right? They tear us down. How do we respond? How do we respond to this? Do we attack back? That's the normal, natural human response. You attack me, I attack you, only I hit you harder so that you will never try it again. Or we respond in kind, we respond with our own unkind words, we, we do all this kind of nasty stuff. What do we do? Right? Do we take matters into our own hands? Well, let's look what David says here. When we're facing these kind of very personal attacks in our lives, which most of us experience. He says what in verse 5? Rest in God alone. Rest in God alone, my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. He repeats almost exactly what he said in the opening verses when this incredible, difficult challenge comes. And I've had other cases where people have tried to destroy my career and take away my livelihoods. How do I respond? Rest in God alone. Trust in him. He's my salvation. He's my strength. He's everything. My salvation and glory, verse 7, depend on God, my strong rock, my refuge, is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. So he adds a couple of new words here. Now we see the introduction of the word hope. And you know because we can trust in God, because he's entirely trustworthy, it gives us reason for incredible hope. <laughs> Where, where does our hope come from? It comes from the Lord, of course, who made heaven and earth. He is our help. He is our hope. He alone is our rock. So when the, when the troubles come, the faith remains the same. This is what David said, I'm, I will not be shaken. I'm not going to turn and stab back. I'm not going to re respond in hatred. I'm going to just continue to stand on this foundation of resting in the Lord, of trusting in him and hope comes from him we have so much hope today and then he says my salvation and glory depend on God and I love how he adds that here because you know this might be kind of a, a difficult subject for us to grasp but Romans 8 17 if you want to look it up Romans chapter 9 and many places in the Bible tell us that you and I those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ are destined for glory we will be glorified together with him we're going to receive a glorified resurrection body like our Savior. We're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Doesn't mean we're going to be God like he is, but we'll be glorified in him. We are destined for glory, beloved. We are not destined for the grave. Yes, it is true that unless the Lord returns, we will all pass that way. But beyond that veil, glory awaits in the presence of the Lord. 
No matter what people try to say or do or tear us down or destroy us in this world, they cannot change this fact that you and I are destined to be glorified in Christ. Praise the Lord. We have such hope. We have such a promise from the Lord himself. He is our hope. He is our glory. And that glory is added to our salvation. What glory that God has in store for you and for me that mind of man can't enter into. We can't enter into all that God has prepared for those that love him. I I have no idea what it's going to be, but I know it'll be glorious because it'll be in his presence forevermore. Incredible glory awaits the children of God. And so David moves not only from a personal confession of faith, now he is encouraging all people. People, listen to me. Here's my confession to you. And David was certainly a man. Perhaps some people think that he wrote Psalm 62 in response to his son's treason. You may remember that. How his son came and tried to take the kingdom and David fled out into the wilderness, right? And certainly his own flesh and blood was trying to destroy him and tear him down. Nonetheless, the Lord returned him to the throne, even when all hope is lost. I've often thought about that, you know. Here you have David, like this amazing, mighty man of God, and he runs in fear from his own boy. That's shocking to me. And yet there's obviously details of the story we don't understand. Absalom had the heart of the people. And there was this treason and this rebellion, and so David flees with his, you know, a small contingent to the wilderness, and perhaps at this point loses all hope, and yet very shortly thereafter, God would return him to that throne. That's the Lord, right? And so David knows what he's talking about. He says, listen, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is our refuge. And when we have those worries and fears, as I'm sure David fled in fear from his own son, can you imagine what was going through his mind? I can't imagine one of my kids trying to kill me. That's what we're talking about here. Imagine, those of you that are parents, that one of your children wants you dead. That's pretty tough to take. And David is dealing with that. No doubt his heart was heavy. His mind was weighed down with worry. And yet, what does he say? Trust in the Lord at all times, you people. Just trust in the Lord at all times. No matter what's going on, pour out your hearts before him. And this is so beautiful. 1 Peter 5, 7, right? Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. But we want to carry those burdens like Christian in, in Pilgrim's Progress, right? We want to carry that sack upon our back. And God says, no, throw it at me. And so whatever that worry is that we're dealing with right now, we cast it onto God and we say, Lord, over to you. I can't, I can't bear this and I'm not going to bear this. I can't. It'll destroy me, but God can carry it. And that's what he says, cast it on me. I'll take it. He loves us. He cares for us. Pour out your hearts before him. In other words, go to God in the midst of your trouble. And so often we run the other way and we look for solutions in so many other places. We want to pour out God is our refuge. Let's move on to verses 9 and 10. Common people are only a vapor, important people an illusion. Together on a scale, they weigh less than a vapor. Place no trust in oppression or false hope in robbery. If wealth increases, don't set your heart on it. It's a sobering truth (laughs) that people of this world, no matter whether they're great or not, are of no consequence to God. Now, God loves the world. Praise the Lord. He does. He sent his son to die for us in our sin. And yet, we are as nothing before him. We are a vapor. Gone. And we put hope in men. 
And we think, oh, well, that great man there, I'm just going to get behind that movement, and that's going to be my salvation, and that's going to be our answer. And I never preach politics because I find I have more friends that way. All I will say is this, is that for some reason, every election cycle, we think that our hope is going to come from a particular political party or man, and it will not. Now, I'm not saying that some aren't better than others. That's for you to decide. But at the end of the day, our hope can only be in the Lord, only there. It's not in nations, it's not in men, it's not in movements, it's not in the wealthy and the powerful who all will become dust. And we can think back just 75 years ago and, and, and Adolf Hitler, who at the time seemed unstoppable, is gone and everything about him is forgotten except the negative. All of the greats of history, all of the leaders, you know, and of course we call greats of history those that conquered everybody else. It's kind of an interesting you know, paradox, right? Alexander the Great, all the pharaohs, all the great leaders of history, whoever they might be, they're all gone. All their kingdoms are gone. They cannot stand, and they are all as a vapor before the Lord. So why do we put our trust there, and why do we even fret over them? The Bible tells us, do not fear man, who only has the power, by the way, to put your physical body to death. I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear the one who has the power, who after he has killed the body, can cast the soul into hell. Fear him. That's what Jesus says. Stop fearing men who are vapors and they are dust. Yes, they can cause us physical harm and they can cause us great grief and pain, but we belong to God who is our refuge and strength and he is in control and his program will not fail. And I am destined for glory no matter what they do to me down here. It's not about this life. It is about the one which is to come. <clears throat> Put your trust in him. If, if, if false hope, uh, if wealth increases, do not set your heart on it. And so often we can think, well, money is just going to solve all my problems. If I just have more money. I thought that for years. <laughs> and as my income went from here to here, so did my debt. It's an interesting graph. You know, it's very linear. It's not curvilinear. It's linear. <laughs> you know, and money is not the answer. It doesn't bring happiness. It doesn't solve our problems at all. Don't put your trust in it. Don't put your trust in these things. But the shocking truth of this matter is that people are a vapor. They're an illusion before God. They're nothing before him. We need to remember that. Let's move on, 11 and 12. <clears throat> God has spoken once. I have heard this twice. Strength belongs to God, and faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. You know, God is the only one who is truly strong. He's the only one that's truly strong. And you know, the, the dictators of the past century, yes, they caused great harm and suffering amongst people. We don't minimize that. But it was temporary. And the Lord's people were not shaken. Those that knew the Lord knew the Lord still and were safe in him no matter what happened to them. I often think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, you may have heard of him, you know, a German theologian who opposed the regime and was found in prison, and they shot and killed him just days before the Allies completely won. It was almost like retribution. We've got to kill as many people as we can. And he was in prison for his faith. What a waste, and yet it wasn't. The Lord was in control. He's in the glory. He's in the presence of the Lord. His reward is sure. Can't be shaken. Oh, yes, you can kill the body. You think you've put an end to it. No, you haven't. You've only helped me to see my Savior sooner. And I'm not minimizing, don't, don't get me wrong here, I'm not trying to minimize that stuff. I fear that. I'm not going to stand before you and say, oh yeah, my faith is so great that I can just, you know. No, no. 
I'm not looking for that. I'm not asking for that. I would fear that. Nonetheless, our confidence is in the Lord. They cannot shake that. I think of our Egyptian brothers and sisters in the last few years that have gone through such suffering in Egypt, you know, and Ron Hughes, whom you know, I'm sure he's been here, <coughs> was over there a few years ago. Did he do his Egypt presentation here? Good, yeah. So, I mean, he shared, right, the, the, the faith of some of these uh, believers over there who have publicly gone on TV and radio, right, to say we forgive our attackers. You have not harmed us. You have helped us to enter our reward sooner. It's incredible. We forgive you. We love you in Jesus' name. That's the power of God. We will not be shaken. God is faithful. And David says, you know what? God has spoken once. I've heard it twice. Of course, you know, God only needs to speak once, but sometimes we need to hear it more than once. We need to be reminded. Strength belongs to God. Of course it does. And yet we do need that reminder, don't we? Only God is strong. And faithful love belongs to you. That, that's the Hebrew word for covenant love or faithfulness. And in the Hebrew, we miss it here in the English completely. It, it, it uses a UU construction. So in Hebrew, whenever they repeat a word twice, it's done for like emphasis. And so it says, faithful love belongs to you, you. In other words, really from the Lord, faithful love, covenant love is his. And he is the one that shows this kindness to you and to me, and he really, really, really does that. That's what the Hebrew construction is trying to get at us. It's really from God. That's where we find faithful love, covenant love, faithfulness, kindness. The, the unfailing love of God belongs to the Lord. He loves us no matter what's going on. He knows everything that's going on in our life. Lord, you repay each according to, our, to his works, and, and justice lies with God, right? That's why we're told not to take matters into our own hands. Leave it with the Lord. He will repay because he knows the hearts of men and he alone is judge. And so he will take care of those things. I'm always so amazed, right, at David, how he never took matters into his own hands when it came to Saul. He was anointed king by Samuel, by the prophet. It was years before it was realized. He had so many opportunities to strike Saul down and he refused to do it. He never took matters into his own hands. There's a lesson there for us, beloved. Even when presented with the opportunity to, do, to take matters into his own hands, he did not do it. He left it to the Lord, to the Lord to repay. And the Lord will repay. The Lord will deal with things in the right way as only he can do. So what's going on in your life right now over which you're worried and you're stressing? What is it that's happening with you right now? Perhaps this morning you're here and you're stressed out over certain things going on in your life. We've been reminded of who God is this morning. We've been reminded that we don't have to worry, that we have a source of hope, that we have a sure foundation, that we have a God who loves us and who has saved us. And so really it comes back to us. Are we going to take our burdens there? Or are we going to continue to try to carry them? We have to find a way to let that go. Sometimes that burden, you know, is over a child who has gone astray or a loved one who doesn't know the Lord. And those burdens are heavy at times, and yet we can't bear those either. I remember... Many years ago, we had a family situation that was exceedingly difficult for my wife and I, and we ran into Jim Compton. Perhaps you've had Jim. Have you had Jim here? No, but you know of Jim. Jim Comp, yeah, great brother in the Lord. And you know, he was preaching at our meeting that day, and as we were sharing with him, unburdening with him our heartache and our sorrow, he shared with us something that has remained with me, just the confidence that he had. He said, Mark, 
This would be six, seven years ago now. He says, Mark, he says, I have a son who's in his 40s. He doesn't know the Lord. But I know that God will save him someday. And I've let it go completely. I don't worry about it anymore. Now, I couldn't just drop my worries there that morning. But what he said to me struck a chord with me. And I could see that he had, in fact, laid that burden before the cross and left it where it belongs. And that's the challenge for you and me. Whatever you're carrying this morning, have you cried out to God? That's where hope is. That's where action is. That's the stronghold. That's the place of refuge. To unburden ourselves before God, to just give it all to him. He knows anyway, but he asks us to come and to cast it upon him. It's not a bother to him. That's what he wants. Because he knows that's the best place for you and for me. We need to go there. We cannot, we must not carry them. And as we do that, we will experience the rest that David is talking about in this psalm. Only in you, God, do I find rest. The silence of rest, the perfect peace. And as we unburden ourselves to the Lord, as we take everything to him, oh, praise God, we can leave it there and we can, we can know the rest of God. We can just trust that he will do something. I don't have to carry it. I don't have to wrestle with it. I don't have to struggle with it. Whatever that problem is, it's a relationship problem, it's a financial problem, it's a health problem. Whatever it is, okay, Lord, it's yours now. I'm done with it. And thank you for the rest that he offers, the peace that he gives. Perfect rest in God's presence. You know, it's kind of like the ocean. I love the ocean. It's such a privilege that the Lord called us to work in a seaside town because I'm from landlocked Ontario. Now, we had lots of water. You know, Lake Ontario is pretty big. Um, but like the ocean, there's just something about it, right? It's, it's fearsome and yet it's peaceful and calm. It's beautiful, and yet it's terrifying at the same time. I only go end up to here because I'm afraid <laughs> of what's out there <laughs> and uh, the power of the sea. But when the storms rage, I love going to the shore. I'm telling you, I've been down to the shore when that wind is howling so bad, you, can, you have to brace yourself like this to stand there, and you can barely breathe, and it's just pounding, right? The power of that, and yet those little lobsters out there, 50 feet below the surface, it's perfectly calm. The storm is only on the top, and that's the picture you see, that in the midst of that storm, I'm like the little lobster on the bottom, on the ocean floor, just chewing up whatever falls down to me, you know? And uh, having a good time, right? The storm's raging, whatever. I'm at peace, I'm at rest. And we can have that in Christ. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley was burned at the stake because of his witness for Christ. On the night before his execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance and comfort. Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as he ever did in his life because he knew the peace of God. He could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his Lord to meet his need, and so can we. It's not just fiction. It is true. I have found it to be true in my own life. I want to conclude with just this little brief few lines from Charles Wesley. I rest beneath the almighty shade. My griefs expire, my troubles cease. Thou, Lord, on whom my soul is stayed, will keep me still in perfect peace. Father, we bless you this morning that we can rest in you alone. You are strength, salvation, God. You're everything to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to bring our burdens to you, to cry out to you, O God, and to trust in you, Lord. You're the only one 
who is strong. We are weak. And so, Father, I just ask for anyone who is struggling this morning, Lord, that the peace of God would be known by them, Lord, that you would comfort and encourage each heart. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We thank you for our fellowship, for the food, for the lunch. God, we bless your name. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask the musicians to come back. I want to sing just this last chorus that we sang a couple of times over, and then we'll conclude. (laughs) 